I'd like to begin reading in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, read through verse 13, and focus our attention particularly on verses 5 through 13, having looked at the earlier verses last week. As we read these, read these words, we need to be reminded Jesus was discipling His disciples. So Jesus is discipling us. Jesus is discipling us through the pen of Luke. And he's wanting to teach you and me about what it means to pray. He's wanting to teach us about how to pray persistently. So Luke writes, It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves because a friend of mine has come from a journey, and I have nothing to serve him. And from inside, he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even if he will not get up and give him anything, just because he is his friend, yet because of his shamelessness or importunity or maybe boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks it will be opened. Now, which one of you fathers will his son ask for a fish? And instead of a fish, he will give him a snake. Or he will even ask for an egg, and his father will give him a scorpion. So if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The word persistence, tenacity, determination, resolve, endurance, staying power, patience. They can all be found in the disposition of J.K. Rowling. You're probably familiar with that name. She's a billionaire. Uh, she is responsible for the Harry Potter series. And after writing the first volume of that Harry Potter series, she sent it to a publisher. It was rejected, then 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 accepted. You can only imagine how many editors lost their jobs when those who own the corporation or the board of directors found out that one of their editors had rejected Harry Potter, the Harry Potter series, 
And it became an unbelievable success. In fact, so successful, it is the most, it is the most published book series in the history of the world. She became a billionaire. They made movies based on the series. They've had, they've had movies based on offshoots of the series. It is phenomenal. Jay Lynn has read it several times. And, I mean, the books are too big. They're, they're, they're more than I'm interested in reading. But she, I've heard all about them. And, in fact, she's seen all the movies many times. And so, during COVID, I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to ex express genuine love to Jay Lynn. Honey, we'll watch the Harry Potter movies since we have nowhere to go and nothing to do. And so we started watching them, very interesting, very, uh, very engaging, and we made our way through the first three or four, and, and then I said to her, is this character going to die in the next movie? And she said, do you want me to tell you that? I said, I insist that you tell me. She said, yes, that character is going to, going to die, and I said, then I don't want to watch any more of the movies. He was my favorite character in the whole thing. And so... The point that I'm making is persistence pays off. It pays off in so many different ways in life, but particularly as it relates to prayer. God calls us to be tenacious, persistent, enduring in prayer. And when we give up on prayer, we're giving up on God. Now, we wouldn't put it that way so bluntly and maybe even so crassly that we've given up on God, but when we've given up on prayer, we've given up on God because God doesn't just call us to pray, God commands us to pray. Well, I'd like to give you four preliminary thoughts on persistent and tenacious prayer. Some of these thoughts you'll find woven throughout our study this, this morning. The first one is this. Complaining and hopelessness are the twin ditches of prayerlessness. Complaining and hopelessness are the twin ditches of prayerlessness. And one ditch is complaining. Because I don't know about you, but I always have a way of knowing what's best for other people and what's best for me. And once you reach a certain age, you don't express your complaining outwardly, verbally. That's what children do. I'm a little bit more sophisticated than a child. I just do it inwardly. As I mentioned last week, frustration is an evidence of prayerlessness. The clenching of the fist, the grinding of the teeth, that's an evidence that a person is in, wants to be in control and they can't be in control, and they may be immature enough to complain, they may be mature enough not to complain outwardly, but they're both basically doing the very same thing. It's a, it's a sign of an egomaniacal sense of wanting to control everyone and everything around me, complaining. Eventually, complaining falls into the ditch of hopelessness. Eventually, you just become despondent, whatever the circumstance or the situation may, may be. It may be in your marriage. And so, things are the way they're always going to be. There's nothing that's going to change. This is the way they are. I've prayed about it. This is the way they're going to be. And you sink into the slough of despondency. You just throw up your hands. 
You give up on God because you've given up on prayer. You wouldn't put it so bluntly, and you probably wouldn't even think about it in terms like that. But that's exactly what happens. Complaining and hopelessness are twin ditches on either side of the highway of prayer. For most of us, here's the second thought, it's a short trip from determination to despair, but a long journey from despair to prayer, or what we might say, back to prayer. That is, we usually would begin determined to pray and to seek the face of God and to intercede for the person, the circumstances, or the situation. But when things don't change, when they don't change nearly as quickly as we would like for them to change, we sink, we, we sink from determination to despair. And I can tell you from personal experience, it's a very long journey from despair back to prayer. A third thought. Persistent prayer gives God the opportunity to, to build a story out of our complaining and hopelessness. See, a part of persistent prayer is coming to understand I am not omniscient. I often think I am. I know what's best for you, and I know what's best for her, and I know what's best for my wife, and I know what's best for my, for my, uh, for my kids. Uh, I know what's best. Now, I wouldn't put it like that. At 64 years of age, I say things a little bit more carefully than I did when I was 30 and 40 years of age. But that's exactly the situation. I don't give God the opportunity to enter into my story. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to weave Himself into our story, and He does that as we pray. And over time, we begin to see God popping up in different ways and in different places in our story where there had been complaining and hopelessness, there had been, there had been belly aching and despair. All of a sudden, at, through persistence, I begin to see God doing something. The fourth thought is, but we, we give up much too soon. God normally changes people and circumstances a little at a time, and He almost always begins with us. We would love for Him to begin with our boss, our co-worker, particularly our spouse if we're married, but that's not the way that God typically works. God typically begins with us, and He works incrementally. Very seldom does he, does he work instantaneously. What often will appear to be instantaneous has been nothing more than God having worked behind the scenes incrementally. We want God to answer our prayers immediately, but, but God seldom does things in that way. Again, the reason is He wants to allow time in our persistent prayer to change us, and then so He can enter into the story of our life. If you don't believe this, think about the way that 
God typically does some of the most monumental things that He has ever done. For example, why didn't God create the world in one day instead of six? He could have created the world in one day. Why didn't He create the world in one day? Was, it, was He confused, inept, in, unca- incapable? Did He have to rest up and, and then get up all His strength to, to create the second day? No, God could have done it in one day. He did it in six days. Why did the children of Israel have to march around Jericho six consecutive days instead of just one day? Why couldn't they just have marched around Jericho one time? The city walls have fallen down. They, they invade, the, they invade the, uh, the city and overwhelm their enemies. He didn't do it in one day. He did it in six days. Why were there ten plagues instead of one plague? If I had been Moses, I would have wanted God to do it in one plague. Get it over with. The people are restless, and the people are suffering, and the people are, are uh, confused. Just one big plague. If you're going to take the, the, the firstborn of all of the children of the Egyptians and the livestock of the Egyptians, let's just do it and get past all of the blood and the gnats and the frogs and the hail and all the rest. But God didn't do it that way. Because God was weaving a story, and through that story, He was teaching the Israelites something about Himself. They were, coming, they were learning about God. They might not have realized it, but on the other side of the ten plagues, they knew a lot more about God than they did prior to the ten plagues. And if there had been only one plague, they would have learned one-tenth as much about God as God wanted them to know. So, let's turn our attention to to Luke's gospel, verses 5 through 8. If you want to pray more effectively, (laughs) you must learn boldness and persistence. Jesus tells a a humorous story, a funny story. We've looked at this story before. In the ancient world, bread was a staple. It was one of the most important aspects of of the Jewish diet and throughout the ancient world, as a matter of fact. And in the ancient world, hospitality was one of the most important qualities that anyone could emulate. That is, in first century Israel, hospitality held a place of prominence that far exceeds anything that we see in the United States. And often people would travel at night. You can understand why they might travel at night. First, because of the, the heat of the Palestinian day. That is, the temperatures can, can reach enormous heights. And so, if you catch the, the, the moon at full moon, and you've got a brilliant moon, and you've got the beauty of the stars illuminating the night sky, and you see a city on a hill in a great distance, and the, and the, little, the little lamp bowls flickering in the windows. You've got a direction, you've got a trajectory, you've got a place to head. And so it wasn't uncommon for people to travel at night. That is, all of the story seems to be making sense in a way that they would have been very familiar with. Even the friend going next door and knocking on the door and saying, 
Uh, I've got someone that's visiting me. A friend is visiting me. Hey, friend, give me some loaves. I know your wife was making bread today. We don't have any bread. We ate all of our bread. And from inside the house, he, he makes it clear what the man already knows. The door is closed. In that part of the world, the heat of the day, you would leave your door open all day long to allow some little type of breeze in because your windows were very small. They were up high. You didn't want big windows for, for people to be able to in, enter your house. You didn't have windows like with glass or screens or anything of that nature. Small windows up high. You left your door open for a nice little breeze whenever the, whenever the wind would be blowing. But when you close that door at night, you didn't have much light. You weren't watching TV, Nick at Night, if that's still on TV, or, or uh, you, weren't, you weren't surfing the, the web on your phone. You got ready to go to bed. Your children then slept in the same room with you. Think about that. One-room house. Think how, think how tough it is in, in, uh, with uh, having kids in the house right now. Think if they all, everybody slept in the same room. You talk about a nightmare. That would be a nightmare. And then you've got your animals. Sometimes they would bring some of their animals in to protect them from scavengers that would roam the streets at night or thieves. And when someone starts banging on the door, it's like you've just put your kids down for a nap and now a door-to-door salesman knocking on the door. You hear the doorbell. Uh, you now listening to the child screaming and crying upstairs and you think, I'm going to kill somebody. And it might as well be the salesman. And so... He's inside. He, he's trying to quiet him down. Shh, quiet. My kids are sleeping. He, he says that he doesn't, he's not willing to get up, open the door, and give him bread because it's his friend. He's not willing to do it because he's his friend. He does it to quiet him down so he'll go away. Now, we might be led to believe that, well, that's, that's the way God is. You know, God's like what happened with, with uh, J.K. Rowling. If I pray 25 times and I don't pray the 26th time, God's not going to answer my prayer. That he's up there checking them off. He's expecting me to pray 18 times. I get to 15. I, I, it's just not worth it. I don't know if it's 18 or 40. I'm just going to give up. That's what we might think from reading that parable. But that's not the way God is, because persistence isn't about how many times you pray, as if God were keeping track. It's about a disposition and an attitude. It's about an understanding. God's wanting to enter into my story, the prayer I'm praying. He's wanting to do something first in me before He does something in others. So persistence is more about a disposition than it is about a number. And so Jesus in verses 9 through 13 offers some further encouragement to persistent prayer, to keep it up. He said, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. Uh, you're going to find the answer is going to be given. It may not be exactly the way that we thought it would be given, but God hears the prayers of his people. He's not like the man inside the house. We're not having to pester him and, and cajole him and, and bother him. He's, he's a father, and like a father wants to do good things for his children, earthly fathers, like you and me if we're fathers, 
The same is true of mothers. We don't want to do bad things for our kids. We want to do good things for them. But sometimes what they're asking for would be a catastrophe. If we gave our kids what they wanted at certain times in their lives, it would be a catastrophe. Six-year-old, I, I, I like a Harley Davidson. And for one, you can't reach the, 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 you can't start it. You can't reach the pedals to start it. You can't get it off the kickstand. Well, you don't love me if you don't give me a Harley Davidson. Uh, they, they don't get it at six. But eventually, come to, that would have been unreal. My parents would have been out of their minds to have given me a motorcycle when I was six years old like that. That, that, of that size and that capacity and the potential for that speed. It wouldn't be a good parent, it'd be a bad parent. An indulgent parent isn't a good parent. It's usually a thoughtless, lazy parent. And so he tells them, don't give up because God is a good father and God will answer our prayers. So I want us to think about why should we pray persistently and tenaciously? Why should we pray that way? First, because God tells us to pray that way. This is the first of four thoughts. God tells us to pray that way. That's enough. God says, pray with tenacity, pray with perseverance, pray with endurance, pray with patience, pray knocking, seeking, asking, don't quit. God tells us to pray that way. And that should be enough but he wants us to understand that there's more involved than just that. He's not just saying, do it, because I say, do it. That's the way I was sometimes as a father. Well, Dad, why do you want me to do it? Because I said, do it. And that's enough. Well, that's not a very good father. That was a, would have been a very weak moment. Of course, children ought to be able to ask, well, Dad, why do you, why do you want me to, to do it? There came a point when I matured enough where I would say, if you ask me respectfully and, and politely, then I'll, I'll explain to you why, you why you should do it. God doesn't just tell us what to do. God explains to us why we should do it, and that's what this whole teaching from Jesus is all about. Second, persistent prayer changes you, not God. God doesn't change. We change. Often we want God to change our circumstances, our job, our co-workers, our spouse, but God wants to change us first. And persistent prayer is about changing us. God doesn't change, we change. And typically God doesn't change our circumstances or the people that frustrate us until we change. And what I found is, in, in my few times I've been willing to do this, when I change, the things that bother me aren't that important. They're not that significant. They're not that monumental. They don't change the world. They don't leverage the world. They were just a preference. But God doesn't change. We change. And when God changes us, we begin to see things a little bit differently. Third, persistent prayer is surrendering your desire to be in control. Most of us are egomaniacal when it comes to control. You can tell it because we're in the complaining ditch or the hopelessness ditch. 
The complaining ditch just says, if you do what I would say you ought to do, then things would be all right and we could get this show on the road. The hopelessness situation is it doesn't matter anymore. That's just the way that it is. It just doesn't matter. You see, persistent prayer means we surrender our desire to be in control to God, and we let Him be in control because He's in control anyway. And the sooner we let Him get in control, the sooner we can get on with the full completion of God in our story and God unfolding events in the way that He wants them to unfold. Fourth, I thought about this one for several days. Persistent prayer clears your cluttered mind, focuses your clouded vision, and softens your proud heart to God's will rather than your own. Look at that for just a moment. It's pretty insightful if I say so myself. It's insightful because it says a lot to me about me. The less I have to be in control and the more I let God be in control, the better my life seems to be the better I'm able to see things the way that they truly are. Uh, I'm able to see that a lot of the things I'm trying to manipulate and coerce and, and have other people do, they're really not that important. They really don't matter that much. They're not going to leverage or change the world. Well, how do you pray persistently and tenaciously. How do you pray this way? Let me give you some final thoughts here this morning about this. Be specific about what you are asking God to do and honest about why you want Him to do it. Be specific. Notice Jesus was, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, daily bread, forgiveness, lead us not into temptation. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to know German, Latin, Hebrew, Greek, or anything else. It's pretty pointed, clear, easy, simple, direct, understandable. He know, we know exactly what he wants us to pray. It's very specific. And we need to be honest about why we want him to do it. Typically, it's because we think it's best. But our vision may be clouded. Our minds cluttered, our hearts proud, and it usually gets right down to the fact because this is the way I want it to be. I want my wife like this. I want her to be this way. And it's only through seasons of prayer, praying for our spouse, that we begin to see that God wants to change me for me more than he wants to change his wife for me. God wants to change his wife for him, not for me. But I want it to be for me. I want her to be what I want her to be. 
But persistent prayer helps me to understand God's not changing his wife for me. He wants to change me and how I treat my wife so that my wife can then become who he wants her to be for him, not for me. And so we need to be specific. And it helps to be honest. Because nothing nothing is gained by dishonesty. Second, be patient by allowing God time to weave himself into the story. Look for evidence of him at work. You've got to give him time. He, He very seldom works instantaneously. He works incrementally. As I told you, look at creation. Look at Egypt. Look at Jericho. That's the way that he typically works. And he wants to unfold a story for us where we can see him doing great things on our behalf. But we have to be patient. You may have a, an unregenerate daughter who lives in Nevada. And you waver between complaining and despair, between criticism and hopelessness, because she, she doesn't love Jesus. She very seldom comes to visit. She's not very interested in the things that you invested in her, and you, and you were not a perfect parent, but you were a good parent. You loved her. You brought her to church. You read the Bible with her. You helped her to stay engaged in in youth group. It wasn't that you were a bad parent at all. But we live in a fallen world, and the world, the flesh, and the devil is constantly on the aggression. And so you begin to think about this idea of persistent prayer, giving God time. And so maybe it begins with holding your spouse's hand at night, mentioning your daughter by name, asking God to be at work. God calls her to begin to read her Bible. God calls her to begin to watch church online. God calls her to begin to to receive our phone calls. And we want it just like that, but God usually works a little bit more slowly than that. Maybe she begins to answer your text messages. We don't see that's God weaving himself into our story. That's God at work in her life. And so we begin to text her. And lo and behold, she occasionally begins to answer. And then you begin to call, and she even takes your calls. Sometimes we don't realize God's weaving into the story and giving us encouragement. I'm at work in this. This isn't just by happenstance. This is me at work, and you take heart to that. It's not where you want things to be. It's not as quick as you would hope they would be, but she's texting and lets you call her once in a while, and she answers the call. And then one night she sends a a text and says, you know, I've been reading the Gospel of John. You could jump through the roof. You know you've got to be wise. You have to be cautious. God works incrementally. But that's an evidence that God's at work. 
There's a lot more to be done in her, but God's at work. You've got to stay on the road. You can't fall into the, the ditch of complaining or the ditch of hopelessness because complaining and hopelessness always end in prayerlessness. But God is a good Father. He hears our prayers. And so we need to be patient, but we also need to be prepared for God to change us. He needs to change maybe the way we approach our daughter, the way we speak to our daughter, the expectations on our, on our daughter, our co-workers, our boss, our spouse. We need to be prepared that God will change us. God is more interested in changing us than our circumstances. He's more interested in changing us than our co-workers as it relates to us. We want Him to change everybody else, but He's interested in changing us. And that's what persistent prayer does. God changes us. And then our clouded vision becomes a little bit clearer, and the things that would drive us up the wall don't seem to matter so much anymore. Because we're not the immature person we once were, we're the more mature person that we have become through persistent prayer. And then finally, we're thankful. Be thankful when God surprises us by not answering the prayer that we began praying, but the prayer that we ultimately needed to pray. Be thankful that God surprises you with an answer that is somewhat different than your initial request, because your perspective on the situation is quite limited. Be thankful. Don't take, those little, don't take those little movements in the lives of others and particularly changes in you for granted. Uh, find time and opportunity to give thanksgiving to, to God and praise to God for the good things that God is doing. But we've got to get out of the ditch of frustration and complaining. We, we've got to get out of the the slew of despond of hopelessness and despair and get back on the road of prayer. Hopelessness sinks you only further into greater degrees of hopelessness. Complaining and frustration only lead you into greater depths of bitterness and resentment. But Prayer changes you, and it changes, it changes me. It doesn't change God, and God isn't so interested in changing others until He's first changed us. I'm going to ask if you'll stand and let me lead us in a word of prayer. Maybe this morning that you are a guest, we'd invite you again to either one of the connection tables in either lobby, or maybe you would just like someone to pray with you about a circumstance or a situation. Maybe you would say to, to a neighbor, a friend, a, uh, a BFG member, uh, someone at the connection tables, I'm in despair and hopelessness. Would you pray for me? Or maybe you would say, I live my life with such frustration toward my spouse. Would you pray for me? And allow that person to help you begin to get up and out of the ditch. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that your word is 
not just helpful, but it's perfect instruction. It, it perfectly instructs us in discipleship. It helps us to see who you are and what you want from us. And Father, we thank you that you're not like that uh, listless friend, that reluctant friend who doesn't want to get out of bed and wake up the children and, and, and rouse the, the animals, that you're not like that, that you want to give us an egg and not a snake, that you want to do good for us because you love us. And so help, Father, help us, help us to know if we're in one of those two ditches and help us to understand the purposes of persistent, tenacious, enduring prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.